0: hey everybody welcome back to the beginner baking podcast i'm your host matt and today we're going to be talking about bread i do want to make it very clear that i guess much like the other episodes i've had focusing on specific types of baking goodies that this isn't a recipe more so matter of Some tips, some warnings, just some things that might help you on the way to making bread. Just in case, in case you've tried bread before and think it's too hard but want to get back into it. Or you are apprehensive about making bread because it does seem to be something that a lot of people mess up. I messed up a lot. So I think that after messing up so much and finally having some pretty decent results. Not perfect results. I think I have some words of wisdom, some mistakes that I've learned from that I can talk about before you get started on your bread baking journey. Now, I do want to emphasize that the breads I'm making are typically simple. Simple, soft, like loaves of supermarket style bread or dinner rolls, stuff like that. This is not a primer for sourdough or anything more advanced. Just a few tips for easy breads. (laughs) First things first, figure out how much softened butter you need. Softened butter. Uh, From my experience, every bread I've had to make so far required softened butter. Uh, Figure out how much you need and take that out of the refrigerator first, immediately. Many a time, I thought I'd be fine and then I see that the recipe requires softened butter, and then I get to that point, I've got everything else mixed in, and I have to wait, because of course I didn't read that part, and now I have to pay the price. So I don't want you to have to pay the price. If it requires softened butter, take it out now. If it doesn't say if it's softened butter or not, most likely it's softened butter. Generally, it's softened butter. Now, the softness you're looking for is basically where you can push with your finger and make an indent very easily, and it, it's basically easy to spread while holding some semblance of shape, it's not a puddle. You can definitely soften butter in the microwave or on the stove if you're in a hurry. Just do it very uh, steadily, very uh, in short bursts. You're not looking to melt it. Soften butter and melted butter are not the same thing because I tend to worry a lot about accidentally like not paying attention and just letting it run too long. I'm more inclined to just set it out first, even before I start getting everything else out, um, just so I'm kind of guaranteeing my results. All right, next thing, next thing that gave me a big headache is figure out what kind of yeast to have. If it's active dry or if it's instant, because these aren't the same. I thought they were, but they're not. Active dry yeast is deceptive. Uh, They come in little packets, like it's supposed to be like an instant thing that you just throw in there and it i mean it is but it's not instant yeast if you've already invested in active dry i'm sorry (laughs) i've been there it's not the end of the world it's just that you got to do something a little bit different if that's what you're using namely for active dry you usually will have to heat up water or milk to around 105 to 115 degrees fahrenheit and then stir that yeast in There are some yeasts that might require you to throw a little bit of sugar in there. Depends on the yeast. But then you let it sit for a little bit. Around maybe 10 minutes or so. You should see little bubbles form in in the yeast mixture. But then for instant yeast, you can just mix it in with your dry ingredients. Now, I'd always heard that salt isn't the best thing for yeast. At least not before it gets a chance to mingle. Uh, with the other dry ingredients Um, i think of it kind of like i mean you've got your main character in a sitcom that would be your yeast and then let's say you have like the more gregarious or abrasive character um, also one of the main characters and they're the salt so what happens is usually in the sitcom they meet up and it's kind of not the best experience for them initially But then they kind of grow to like each other and they can exist together and become besties. That's essentially what I try to do with my yeast and my salt. So I'll have my bowl, I'll have my flour, and then what I like to do is on one half of the bowl above the flour, I have my sugar. And then on the other half, in just like a little corner, a danger zone, I have my salt. Make that very clear. So then when I put my instant yeast in, I can just put it in on the side with the sugar. And so I can just let it mingle a little bit before I mix everything in. Now, I'll say that this, at this point, this could just be neuroticism. Because I've heard so much that salt tends to kill yeast. But I figure this is an easy enough step for me to just do anyway, to just be safe. And then once you have those in together, then you can whisk it all together and now that i think the yeast has had a little bit of time to chill not chill but to to sit with the other ingredients you're good to go i do want to say sorry i may have jumped the gun a little bit uh, but hopefully you're not following what i'm saying as you're making as you're making bread already cuz like i said this isn't a recipe it's just a warning but if you're using a stand mixer use that stand mixer bowl immediately One of my least favorite things is when I start mixing my ingredients together especially once I get to the wet ingredient part and then I realize that I have to mix it all in the stand mixer anyway and then I have to move it all over. That's it's it's not the worst thing in the world it's just a minor inconvenience Um, but the the biggest thing is just that I gotta wash another bowl (laughs) and I don't want to do that so if you're using a stand mixer don't neglect the fact that you have a bowl. Do you need a stand mixer? Nope, but it helps. Of course, it helps with the kneading process. But mainly, it helps with the combining wet-dry-all-those-ingredients-together process. Because that is one of the worst parts. <laughs> if you're not using a stand mixer, that is. Because whether if you're using your uh, gloved hands, or just your hands, or a wooden spoon, or whatever... Um, the hard part is how sticky it gets. And if you don't want it to just take over your gloves entirely, then you end up flouring more. And that may throw your ratios off, all that stuff. So stand mixer helps, but um, you don't need it. It's not 100% necessary by any means. Now, if you are needing my hand, it's tedious. I love it, but there's still, for me... It still feels a little tedious, but like a fun tedium because it's like you don't really have to think about it. You just have to put on like a show or an audiobook or something that you can mindlessly watch while you're doing your thing. Now, something that I want to stress before this happens is unless it's specifically accounted for in the recipe, say the recipe tells you, oh, you're gonna wanna do this on an unflowered surface and you don't wanna add any flour to it. All right. Or, maybe same thing with water or milk, a liquid of some sort. Great, then don't worry about this. But if they don't talk about it, then keep some of the flour you're using on hand. uh, Easy access. And keep some of the liquid you're using on hand. Easy access. Because, most likely in the process of kneading, it might be a little sticky, and you you wouldn't want it to steal your gloves away off your hands, nor stick too much to your work surface and end up like like you end up losing chunks and having to peel those off and it just uses up a lot of time. So you have that extra flour there so you can flour your gloves, flour your hands, and flour your work surface so you can keep the kneading process going efficiently. You have your liquids there to keep the balance. I mean, sometimes you end up adding too much flour in this process and so you have to rehydrate it. You have to add a little bit more liquid to it. I would say that at the very least for the the sort of rolls and the loaves that I'm talking about, the simple ones that are very soft, emphasis on softness, then you want it to feel very hydrated. You want it to feel very smooth, not as though you're, you're dealing with something that is that looks drier than the bread should look when it's done baking. Now, I also want to talk about the the way to know if you're done or not. Simply put, if you have a reference of some sort, great. If you have a teacher or someone who knows, who knows breads, knows doughs, that's ideal. If you don't, pay close attention to the videos, pay close attention to the pictures. It will be less ideal because they have lighting, they have Photoshop. They have different ingredients. They have all these things, so it'll it, it, the comparison isn't as accurate. But that's okay. Generally speaking, it should look fairly similar. It should look fairly smooth if you're done kneading. And if all else fails, do the windowpane test. You grab a little bit of dough, you stretch it, slowly pull it apart. Uh, if it immediately splits apart, you're not ready yet. You're know, the furthest from being ready at that point no need to rush it because if you rush it at this point you end up like with what I ended up the first time I did it with uh very dense rolls that didn't rise at all and so it was just like I want to say it was almost akin to like chewing chewing gum like a big wad of chewing gum you have to really fight for it um so don't rush this process you want to be able to pull it apart with the window pane test until you can see light through it without it pulling completely apart. Now the next little moment of uh, headache at this point is um, make sure that when your dough is kneaded that uh, whatever bowl you're going to put it in for its first fermentation is well oiled otherwise you end up with your dough potentially sticking to and that's not fun (laughs) So make sure you oil it. Make sure you oil the top of your dough as well. Or the the plastic wrap that you're putting over it. Either way, as long as that point of contact is oiled, you're good to go. Uh, this fermentation takes around an hour or two. And um, I would highly suggest taking a picture at this point of the dough in the bowl. Um, a good picture where you can tell how how much space it takes up because after an hour or two you're going to come back to it and look at it and see if it's doubled in size honestly if every if all the conditions have been met then it should be obvious that it's grown significantly if it hasn't then most likely um, your temperature is not right your yeast might be dead or you didn't need it long enough Um, I would say if it hasn't risen yet, then, uh, the first thing you should do is try to knead it a little bit longer. I know it sucks. I know (laughs) it's not a good feeling to have to do a little extra work, but you're probably going to have to knead it a little bit longer. Um, if your yeast is dead, I'm sorry, y'all. That is unfortunate. Um, I would say that if you do the, uh, active dry yeast that is an advantage and that you can kind of see already if it is active or not when you when you do that uh, activation process with the warmed up liquid and the yeast. As far as temperature goes there are some makeshift like proofing boxes you can make with your oven. I'm not going to go too into depth with that because I haven't done it yet and it would just feel fake if I told you to do that. But um, I would say at this point, my solution has been, knead it longer, and then see how it goes. If it doesn't, if it still doesn't rise, that dough might be done for. It might just be a problem with the yeast. But if it did rise, then you get to do one of the most fun things in the world. You get to bring it back down with a punch. (laughs) Maybe two. I guess it depends on how much force you put into it. But... At this point, I like to use a scale for this, portion it out. I mean, I typically do dinner rolls in like batches of nine, in which case just put it on a scale, divide it by nine, make sure each clump, each ball is the same, same weight. And I'll say that the, the process of like kneading the dough into balls, that they're nice and smooth. I There are plenty of videos online that you can look at that will describe it, visually, much better than I can describe it in this audio medium. And then you set it up in the uh, bread pan or the baking sheet, whatever you're using to bake. Because at this point, uh, you want it all set up so that you're ready to go. You're ready to pop it in the oven after the second fermentation. Of course, if you're putting it straight on the pan, don't forget to grease your pan, oil your pan. Um, or, if you're going to use parchment paper, don't forget your parchment paper. You're going to set it all up, set it, and then cover it again for a little bit. Second fermentation. As far as as far as far making bread goes, these are some of the obstacles that I'd run into. Uh, uh, again, not, not an exhaustive thing. I'm sure that as I continue to make more different new breads, I'm going to find new headaches. But I hope this helps a little bit as far as just some things that tripped me up when I did it. Um, Thankfully, I'm living in a day and age where there are video guides. uh, There are plenty of people that you can go to online as resources. So then it makes this process a whole lot easier because I... I'll look back on my mom's cookbooks and I can't imagine. I It felt more like they were trying to squeeze as many recipes as possible into a very tiny amount of print. And it lacks the nuance. It makes it so that it becomes a huge trial and error process. And it already is. But when you have all those extra resources, all the, all the additional guides, it just makes it a lot easier. Well that's it for this episode. Um, I'll be continuing this series with specific examples of bread, uh, more headaches, all that jazz. But until next time, thank you so much for listening, so much for watching. This has been the Beginner Baking Podcast. I have been your host, Matt, and uh, peace out. <laughs>